is The Business of Being Human. I'm Christine Hildebrand. And I'm Wendy Horn Brower of Intune Collective. We help leaders like you reinvent how you lead and operate, connecting you and your companies to greater possibility and performance. From joy to awareness to consciousness and capacity building, we know that business as usual isn't business at all. Hi, I'm Wendy Horn Brower with Intune Collective, and we're here today with Leslie Ford for the next episode of The Business of Being Human. We are here to talk about the voice of the post-pandemic employee, and we are doing this because the pandemic has just created such a massive change in the workforce. Employees either have to or want to have more of a voice in what their experience is. We know this from experience talking to clients. We know this from research that's out there, especially research that Leslie is doing. And uh, it's about the quality of life they can have while working. And Leslie has long been an advocate for employees in the workplace and in helping employers retain working parents. Introducing her, she's the founder and CEO of Mom's Hierarchy of Needs. She's been quoted in the New York Times, CNN, National Geographic, Fast Company, U.S. News and World Report, and I'm sure I didn't get it all, Leslie. I'm sure there's more out there. Her writing about parenting and equality is what's being reported in these spaces. Uh, Her research-based approach to growth and innovation strategy has served companies, including Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, Care.com, Bosch & Lam, Xerox, HubSpot, and 3M. Currently, Leslie is running a national study of 2,500 parents on the pandemic's impact on their lives and careers. She's a frequent speaker, researcher, and consultant who's working to help employers support parents in the workplace. She's a member of the Black Economic Council of Massachusetts. We're going to start here with a question, too. She also consults with employers to develop practices to support caregivers and promote workforce retention. She's a leading voice for policies that will benefit working families, such as increasing access to affordable and quality childcare and transportation, expanding mental health initiatives, preserving child tax credits, and canceling student loan debt. Lots of advocacy in there, and thank you for the work that you do, Leslie, and thank you for being here today. Thank you for that kind introduction. I love this topic, so I've been looking forward to the discussion. Excellent. I just thought we'd just start with your recent meeting with Elizabeth Warren. It was a virtual meeting, but tell us a little bit about that experience and what what you gained from it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's been really interesting. What I've gained, I think, from that experience and perhaps more broadly, being involved in public policy advocacy work is just, I think, a deep appreciation for how the infrastructure that we live in and work in like deeply influences our personal experience. So as a virtual guest for the State of the Union uh, with her and supporting the policies that would have helped us with you know, paid leave and extending childcare tax credits, you know, all of those things, I see how it filters down into my research with employees around just the ease of making work and life fit together, the ability for people to, you know, afford to live where they want to live, 
afford to raise their children, they want to raise their children, or even just be able to, frankly, have the quality of life and health care or mental health care that they need to support Mm -hmm. their work. And tell us a little bit about your research in the focus areas that you're trying to capture as you are, uh, is the longitudinal study? How long has the study been going on? Since March 30th of 2020. So the interesting Mm -hmm. story behind that is, you know, I researched this intersection between stress, self-care and growth, primarily for parents from my site. Um, Although now I have also run this study repeatedly inside of workplaces where the audience includes Mm -hmm. parents and non-parents. But I thought it would be maybe a couple of weeks of just trying to figure out how the pandemic was creating this tension between like who people really want to be and how they want to show up in all of the Mm -hmm. roles of their lives. So, you know, how do they want to show up as workers, as partners, as parents, Mm -hmm. as caregivers to themselves, and how the pandemic and the conditions have changed that. But as we are now quite aware, this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So I started it March 30th of 2020, um, and it's still running. You know, there's now, uh, as of today, probably close to 2,800 parents who've taken part in the national study and many more who've taken part in the employer side. And this ongoing need for people to fit the way they work around their priorities, which increasingly include not only the people they love and care for, like their families, but also their own health. And it Mm -hmm. puts a spotlight on the fact Mm -hmm. that, you know, for many, many years, work conditions weren't very human (laughs) or very humane. We were expected to work like machines in many environments. And people have realized after navigating life and death through this pandemic and all of the complexity that it's caused, that they don't want to do that anymore. So I think Mm -hmm. it's been a really fascinating uh, lens from which to view culture change and the rise in employee power coming out of this rising awareness that people's priorities are different now and they want to reflect that in how they spend their time and how they spend their energy and even how they spend their money, right, in terms of what they support and what they buy. Mm-hmm. It's like the rift, it's like two worlds just clash. It was happening before, right? It was mm-hmm. it was happening before, but the pandemic just let these two worlds clash. The factory era of needing to scale um, employees through a system and making the system work and the system being prioritized. Although we could see, you know, not everybody could fit there and not everybody had belonging there to now what, what you're hearing is greater employee voice, the post-pandemic voice of the employee and like true diversity, right? Because when you look at people's experiences in their home lives and what people want to prioritize, that's a long, strung out list that has much more diversity in it than it did previously. Absolutely. And as we know, the world is becoming more diverse, period. And so it's a nice trial test area. So what can we name that you're learning in the diverse perspectives that people want? Like, what are the things that employees are 
really want to prioritize. And this might be a great place to talk about your hierarchy because you're advocating for the highest pinnacle, which is self-actualization, self-care. Yeah. Oh, thank you for, for tying it together so beautifully. So I'll start with the latter part of your question. The hierarchy was kind of out, an outgrowth of discovery when I burned out after returning to mm. work um, after my second child was born. So now, I guess a little over seven years ago. But all of the self-actualization categories right at the top, mm-hmm. anything that we would do for our mental, physical, and emotional health, you know, self-care, which in, in my pyramid, that includes sleep, <laughs> that includes mm-hmm. movement. It's not spa days. Learning, growth, development, having healthy relationships with other adults, you know, all of those activities, the reason that many of us never get to them or struggle to get to them is because the bottom two thirds of the hierarchy, anything that we would do to manage our households and our homes, our children's priorities, their health, their well being, their milestones, you know, all of those things are never done. And I think many of us, at least myself, you know, we learned to work in a certain way where we thought, okay, well, when everything is done, then I will, you know, go for that Mm -hmm. run or call that friend or pursue that PhD, whatever that is. But when you start to reorient yourself around a to-do list that's never done, and not Mm -hmm. only is it never done, really important things on it are never done. It changes the way you have to think about your own care, your own development and growth, and you have to be somewhat ruthless about prioritizing space for it, and you have to be intentional about it. And I think this tension that people were feeling before, certainly as I started doing these research studies Mm -hmm. prior, and the tension that people are feeling now is the same, that, wait a minute, if my work doesn't allow me to be the person that I want to be to myself, who I want to be with my family, friends, loved ones, or allow me to, you know, show up in an authentic way in the work that I do, then, you know, what's the point? I don't want to do that anymore. And for mm-hmm. many years, employees haven't had the same choice. We really, I think, are evolving from a fairly long era where employers have had all the cards, and all the mm-hmm. flexibility was on the employer mm-hmm. side, right? Like if, an, if, a com- right. if a company said, you know what, we're moving our factory to a different part of the world, and you can move, or you can lose your job, or wow, right. our hours are changing, so you're going to start working these hours, or you will lose your job, or our benefits are changing, or our priorities are changing, or our bottom line is changing— And employees have just been like running to catch up to those changes that have been forced upon them in the workplace. But now it's like, I wouldn't say it's completely flipped, but this worker shortage really, which is causing this in many industries, has led the employees to be able to say, hey, wait a minute, I don't want to go into your office five days a week. (laughs) I don't need to. My work is really, it doesn't require it. So let's revisit that. Or Mm -hmm. I want to be able to pick up my kids from school and they get out of school at two o'clock and I don't want to be able to, you know, miss these moments. Or 
I have an aging parent who really needs me and I need to be able to work from the state that they live in sometimes. You know, all mm-hmm. of those like very human needs that we have and frankly, which felt like frailties in the workplace before are becoming an important part of defining this moment mm. and defining this new relationship with employers where the flexibility becomes two-sided, right? And mutual and collaborative instead of it being this edict where the party that's holding all of the power is forcing workers mm-hmm. to do things that don't feel good to them in their lives at any given moment. Mm-hmm. So what you're describing is sort of a power rebalancing mm-hmm. and maybe not even rebalancing because it never existed, but you know, so the power shifting to a uh, more conversational meeting of the minds of the employee and the employer. So it requires some change. I would, I would guess that for the employer, their um, raison d'etre, like their why, their mission statement, their purpose has to be super compelling for employees to stick with them, right? Like, yes, mm-hmm. I'm willing to make some sacrifices. Yes, I'm willing to do what you're asking me for. Yes, I feel, you know, like there's a relationship here that I trust enough to ask for what I want. So are you hearing that from em- employers? A hundred percent. The need, and, and I say it specifically as a need, not just a desire, mm-hmm. right? But yes. the need for people to link their lives and their time mm-hmm. to more meaning and purpose mm-hmm. and connect to what they really care about is higher than it's ever been. And some of mm-hmm. that is generational. There's definitely a difference, and there's a lot of studies that really mm-hmm. like reinforce how Generation Z uh, is extremely mission-driven, right, as a generation. So there's part of that that's entering the workplace. But the pandemic has also, again, put like life and death in a very stark daily like sense of how people do things now. So mm-hmm. I see it in the study that people want that meaning, they want that purpose, they want to feel that the time and energy is spent in a place that matters. And, you know, so I don't think people want to sign up to make widgets anymore, right? Um, And I know there are people who make widgets, and there's nothing wrong with making making widgets, but that widget Mm -hmm. factory probably has to say, oh my goodness, our widgets are being used to power really, like, the transportation industry, or our widgets are being Mm -hmm. used to help enable small businesses to survive. You know, they have to tell a story that connects the work to something bigger and more purposeful, um, and dare I say human, right, to the theme of the work that you do. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And I'm thinking of the leaders becoming really clear within themselves, especially as the company's pivoting and needing to make adjustments. It's like coming back and touching on their core values and helping the leadership teams really embody those values. So they're authentically felt by employees and not uh, checkboxed or, you know, a communications message, but that it's really felt at a visceral level by people. Felt and seen, right? To your, mm-hmm. to your earlier point about diversity. I think when companies have said for, I don't know, decades now, that Mm -hmm. diversity matters, inclusivity matters, yet you could look 
and see the pictures on their website right. of their leadership teams right. or their boards. And you can see, <laughs> right? And you can see the incongruence there. Like, wait a minute, if diversity matters, mm-hmm. we don't see that. So again, I think aligning the actual experience of the employees, the actual practices of the company to what they say is important and making it Mm -hmm. very, very intentional and much more transparent than it's ever been is part of this new Mm -hmm. evolved workplace. Do you you have a finger on the pulse of how employers are doing that? Are they just doing pulse surveys? Are they having town halls? Are they hosting conversations? And how are they gathering feedback internally? It's a great question. They're doing all of those things whether mm-hmm. they hire someone like me to help them ask the questions mm-hmm. in, in a way that employees will feel safe answering them, or whether they have their own internal, especially like with larger organizations, they have their own people analytics teams who are really tasked with bringing the voice of the employee into the practices of the organization in the same way they might with the voice of the customer. So, all of those things matter. I think when companies, get it wrong, it's that they're not asking. It's okay Mm. if you ask in different ways. It's okay if you even make missteps when you ask. But if if the organization believes, oh, hey, we asked last year, so we don't have to ask again until this year. If you think about traditional pulse surveys or even traditional engagement surveys, right? Like the conditions are different now. The old school engagement survey or pulse survey probably isn't going to help you tap into what people don't feel psychologically safe enough to Mm. ask for or say. So I think companies that are doing it well are finding different ways to ask the questions, different ways to Mm -hmm. gather the information, and also just recognizing that psychological safety in the workplace, particularly for anyone who's from an historically overlooked group is low. So they're going to need to ask differently and frequently. Mm -hmm. I I, I like to frame gathering data, you know, from your internal culture as relationship building. It's, It's really like, what can I learn from you so that we can have the conversation, not what can I learn from you so I can put it on a shelf and maybe use it to design a strategic plan, but that's a long lead time. And, and people want to know if they're contributing input, that they're being heard. And so it's really a conversation, right? And one thing that we do do at Intune is host something called, a, you know, it's a one hour online container called a curiosity conversation. Mm. We create that psychological safety, a little bit of play, you know, because it's possible to have some lightness and play and then to drop into part anonymous and part like crowdsourced conversation gathering so that the themes that people want to convey can be kind of harvested out for the leadership team to take a deeper look at. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's working with meeting people where they are and creating the openings and the opportunities for the conversations to happen, right? That's so important. Mm-hmm. And by, I love that you introduced the concept of play because again, mm-hmm. lightening the intensity of what people Mm -hmm. are going through right now. I think this is just, it's hard all around. Like everyone is burned out regardless of Mm -hmm. their organization, position, level of privilege. It's leadership hard. It's employee hard. It's parenting hard. It's elder care hard. Like it's hard. So 
giving people some spaces, right, where they can experience a little bit of joy, where they can laugh, where they can tap into some other part of their own creativity. And the fact mm-hmm. that you're hosting that forum, I think, is really important in the workplace. It allows companies to act as if they really believe that ideas can come from anywhere and that everyone's a leader. And so what you see can inform what we do, right? And it really blends the me to we ethos of change so mm-hmm. that companies can really gather buy-in and gather you know, everyone together and create that community where like, oh, what do we have to learn and share and contribute? So we're co-creating this next iteration together. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah. Well, what do employees want to be co-creating with their leaders right now? If, if we had a group and we were sitting down, what would the employees that you're in contact with really want to talk about? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I, I've kind of boiled it down to four like pillars okay. because inevitably in the qualitative responses and the quantitative responses, it kind of comes down to these four things. They right. want psychological safety, the mm-hmm. ability to be themselves, ask questions, make mistakes, and be their you know, human selves in the workplace without reprisal. They want flexibility. And that's just not only where they work <laughs> or what hours they mm-hmm. work, but flexibility in the broadest sense of the word, mm-hmm. including flexible expectations. The third would be access to curated or subsidized mental health care. Pretty mm-hmm. early in my research study, I saw just through the comments, through the outpouring of concerns, through what was hardest, through what people wanted to get rid of, what they wanted to keep, what rules and expectations they don't want to follow, all of it, like, was cr- there was this outcry for mental health services, mental health support, access to mental health care for mm. themselves and for, them, and the, for their families. People are under a lot of strain in their partnerships. Like my, my couples are not doing well in the study. People are under a lot of strain as parents or as elder caregivers. So whatever care responsibilities they have are really fraught through this time. So you know, all of that, I think, just underscores the importance of mental health support. Um, and there's always been a supply and demand problem for mental health support mm-hmm. that preceded the pandemic. And then the fourth would be Child care and elder care, similarly destigmatized, ideally curated and subsidized. You know, if people have care responsibilities, they can't work. <laughs> it's, it's like it, like employers are a direct beneficiary of it. And mm. back in the day, pre-pandemic, employers used to feel pretty good if they could offer backup care, right? Which would be a deeply like only the largest companies had it. So let's start there. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. a deeply right deeply discounted, like subsidized uh, access to a very quick turnaround, vetted, background checked caregiver for up to like 10 days a year. And in the pandemic, like that whole, you know, frame is out the window. Those numbers don't count anymore. No, like it's like, we're no longer talking about 10 days. We're talking about like all the time. There's a huge Mm. childcare shortage and crisis in this country. Mm. In addition to the fact that even if someone could find a caregiver or a backup sitter, no one's going to touch a sick, a sick kid in a pandemic, right? People 
right. parents are backup care um, if a child is sick right now. Um, schools mm. are you know, closing or pausing or removing kids who have had close contact on an ongoing basis. So all of those things, I think, have just placed a premium on the need for better infrastructure and for employers to be part of supporting that for their teams. And same with elder and people care. have to shift on a dime, right? Like mm-hmm. someone gets sick, you have to be able to roll something out on a dime in real time. And how do you have that kind of flexibility? I, I love the four buckets. So psychological safety, flexibility, access to mental health and childcare flexibility, el- elder care benefits and so forth. Yes. Um, Let's talk a little bit about flexibility too, a little bit more, maybe unpacking that, spending a few minutes there sure. as far as how different it really is now to be flexible in the workplace. That pivot that we just talked about, like how, what are some innovative strategies or ideas that you either are coming up with with your community or with your clients that you're hearing about or things that also inspire you? Absolutely. Well, the biggest flexibility need that I hear in the research and that I often will work with employers on is flexible expectations. Because, mm-hmm. yes, you can change people's hours, and that's great. And, yes, you can allow people to work remotely, and that's great, and that's necessary right now. But if they have the same KPIs um, or the same goals and yet – they have a reduced staff, less budget, more competition, <laughs> tighter mm-hmm. turnaround. You know, whatever conditions in the business have changed, the, the goals can't be the same. The mm-hmm. delivery of the work can't be the same. And again, when people are often working from home, may not have childcare, may be responding to elder care crises, maybe responding to their own mental health crises or their own COVID crises, right? You can't expect the same turnaround that people had in the pre-pandemic environment. People need more time to get work done because there's a lot more distraction and clutter going on in the backdrop of their lives. People need time for deep work during the day. And I'll tell you, organization after organization that I meet with, work with, talk with, or hear about through the survey It's still, in many cases, this back-to-back-to-back-to-back meeting culture. And we all used to, myself included, do all of our deep work at night when our kids were asleep, right? That was how we did it. We did it late at night and early in the morning, but people are exhausted. They can't do that anymore. They don't want to do their most important work at 12 o'clock at midnight, People need spaces during the day that don't have meetings. And for or, so working backwards from that, organizations have to get the work done differently. They have to make decisions that don't involve meetings. They can't allow people to just willy-nilly message people at all hours of the day and night because no matter what you tell people, if their boss sends a Slack message or a text or an email mm-hmm. At 11 o'clock at night, they're going to twist themselves into knots responding to it, even if they are tired, even if it's an inconvenient, even if they don't want to, even if it's not important. So leaders have to move differently through the workplace. 
They have to, Mm -hmm. you know, use schedule send. I tell people that all the time. Like, it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing. You can work at 11 o'clock at night and no one has to know. You can schedule that message to go the next business day or during Mm -hmm. business hours. People can be very clear about their expectations. If you assign work instead of just assuming that your employee knows when that work is due, you know, tell them because otherwise they'll assume it's immediate. People treat everything like it's urgent. And a manager can say, you know what, here's this new project. I know you have a lot on your plate right now, and we've had some pretty big launches. So ideally, let's push this out and have it in later in the summer. I'd really love to have mm-hmm. this wrapped up by the end of August. How does that sound to you? Does that sound feasible to you? Do you have the right resources to do that successfully? If not, Let's have a conversation and figure out how to support getting that deliverable done in a reasonable way where you're not working every night or every weekend um, to try to do it. So I think those are the types of changes that give people true flexibility. Um, If people feel like they can't go on vacations because they're terrified of the 200 emails that they'll have when they come back and that they Mm -hmm. don't have any coverage or any backup in their jobs to be able to get their work done. Mm-hmm. It creates a disincentive for self-care and a disincentive for true well-being and back to mental health care, right? A disincentive mm-hmm. for people having the type of reservoir of resilience that they need to navigate work and life. Beautifully said. And thank you for all those like, t- like really concrete examples. You know, in work, we talk about a minimum viable product when we're getting something out, mm-hmm. or we talk about a minimum viable audience when we're trying to test something and pilot something. I would like to summarize what you just said as how do you design in the workplace for maximum flexibility? Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you Absolutely. come into it as a, as a leader and you have decision-making power or, you know, governance over policies, how do you come in out of the gate and say, okay, right now and maybe forevermore, how do we design for maximum flexibility Absolutely. for our team, for different sectors, but really for everyone in our company? Absolutely. One employer that I worked with for quite for just about nine months, um, we worked on for a while and, and really it was a really fun uh, relationship. But their teams in the survey kind of said, you know what, like we we don't want to have to go through layers of approval for a decision that we're closest to. So they suggested Mm -hmm. like a threshold change from X amount of dollars to Y amount of dollars where they Mm -hmm. could just have the authority to to sign off. And that may seem like a very simple change, but it's a profound change. It demonstrates to people that you trust their judgment. It allows people who are closest to the work to have the authority to influence their destiny with the work. And it saves mm-hmm. people tons of time running back and forth, trying to get sign-off on things. So just collapsing a process like that to bring hours back to people that they could repurpose toward their own self-care or repurpose toward deep work is meaningful. And I think every organization has to be able to start to look very closely inward at how to do this. You know, the pandemic came up Nobody knew what to do. Everybody turned on a dime, in many cases, to work remotely if that was possible. And in the remote settings, I see that organizations took like the old workplace and just kind of tried to port it over to 
uh, Zoom. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess for a few weeks, maybe even a few months, maybe that's okay. But now it's been over two years. It's like the actual mechanics, to your point about maximum flexibility, the mechanics Mm -hmm. of work have to be different to allow Mm -hmm. for working in this new environment. Mm-hmm. I'm getting this visual image of <clears throat> a canoe, you know, of like the Lewis and Clark type expedition. Everybody's mm. in the same boat with their supplies, but then you have to have portage and you're carrying things over. And after a certain point, you have to put the canoe down mm-hmm. and spread out as scouts, take your own backpack, your resources and go out and do the work in the field. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's really, when do you come back and gather? Why do you come back together? How do you know when to come back together, right? Exactly. And how do you resource everybody out in the field so they have what they need to survive, to thrive? Exactly. And how to, to communicate, themselves. right? And how to communicate during that experience. Like if they're out in the field, what does that communication look like versus when they're on mm-hmm. the canoe versus when they come back together? And another thing I keep hearing, this is often from parents you know, it's like, uh, you know, wow, they want me to be at a sales conference with hundreds of people during a pandemic or thousands of people, or they want us back in the office because it's better. And why do they think it's better? I'm really productive here. So Mm. it's like I tell leaders, you know what, some leaders are extroverts, and they miss the energy and the buzz of having all the people around them. And they don't realize that the people don't want that. Or mm-hmm. by extension, some leaders are more comfortable making relationships happen and work in person. They're very uncomfortable doing it remotely. But whatever the personal story is for that leader, they have to really look at the needs of their team. They have to take an inclusive lens on how and when they gather, whether they gather mm-hmm. in person. And they have to give people plenty of lead time because if that person has any kind of care responsibilities, whether it's children, elders, a special needs adult, people need to arrange coverage. And they need to be comfortable, frankly, in the current conditions that by traveling or gathering that they can do so in a way that's safe and protects their health. So I think all of those factors are the types of factors that are part of the new conversation at work. It's no longer, hey, go here on this day, book your tickets. It's a different discussion when you're asking people to do that now. And every team is different, essentially. So even if we're coming up with a roadmap of of ideas for um, people, leaders, as you're listening to this conversation, realize that you're going to have to look at your own team Mm -hmm. and design for the constraints of your individual teams. Who are the parents who's taking care of an elder uh, who's got other limiting factors in their lives and how do you create a system that invites them in, but, and you're aware of the constraints of your particular team. Absolutely. I I was just going to say early in the pandemic, I spoke with uh, a, a father Um, working in a very traditional manufacturing environment. And it was very early, so it was one of the rare times I saw that he was in a conference room. I'm like, you're in a conference room. You're in human resources. Do you need to be in a conference room? And he's like, nope. (laughs) He said, and he goes, nope. And he said, and when our daycare closed, 
And my my wife, in this case, he was partnered to a wife, and he said that you know mm-hmm. he really wanted to be able to work from home for a few weeks mm-hmm. so that they could trade off. And his employer told him no. And he said it took mm-hmm. him a long time to really reconcile that. And so again, when people feel like they can't be there for their families or for their partners in the way that they want to, you know, that's devastating to people right now. So employers mm-hmm. have to factor that in as they have these conversations at a team level and at an individual level. Yes. So good. Such a rich conversation. As we close, we usually do a micro practice, which I'll take us into in a moment. But Leslie, is there anything else you want to share as far as a concluding thought or a wrap up? I want to point people to your website, certainly. So if you can also let us know exactly how we can find you. If anyone wants to continue the conversation or use your services and research and participate in your survey, We'll certainly include the link for that in the show notes. Thank you. Of course. I would love to close with, you know, organizations need to create cultures where success and performance is fueled by people's well-being and not burnout, where people are not, it, it's not no longer the extractive practice of people engaging in personal heroics to get the work done where the work is done because people feel healthy, well, and whole, and supported, and they have full lives outside of work. So encouraging and and deeply encouraging through modeling practices, work schedules, and benefits, self-care, and having that be at the heart of how you lead is really important right now. It's important for people's physical health and their mental health. And my website is momshierarchyofneeds.com. From there, if, if it's an employer, the Allies at Work page kind of outlines all the things that I do in the workplace. And for mothers, if you happen to be a mother and a leader, all of the good stuff for moms, including the Time Check Wellness app and the new subscription, Time to Unwind, to make more space for self-care, all of those things are there. Such important supports for very important people. And we want to support the parents in the workplace. And we want to support this evolution that's happening right now for employers and employees with a micro practice. So I invite you to each take a deep breath as you're listening. And this first breath is for yourself. As you take the breath, just feel your own body What are you feeling? What sensations? Energy. Are you feeling generally positive, negative, high energy, low energy? Just a couple breaths to check in with yourself. Now, we know that anyone who manages people is an active practitioner. You have the privilege of influence and privilege of impacting other people's well-being and their experiences. So take another breath for your team. Imagine each member of your team standing in a circle with you and you're all taking a breath together on behalf of the whole. And then leaders, as you're listening, you take a third breath for your system, for your organization. 
And as you take this third breath, I invite you to close your eyes, to settle inside yourself, and just feel your responses to these questions. How can I increase the level of trust I have for my employees and for my team? Where do I feel compassion for them? And how can I increase the sensation of compassion in real time? And take another breath. What constraints do I sense my team members having? And how might and I invite them to share their constraints more openly and authentically with me? Another breath. How can I design the way that my team works together with maximum flexibility for them? You might even imagine your team as an amoeba, flexible, mobile, malleable, adaptable. So what is that fluid team ethos? What does that feel like? And one more breath. What does better mean to me now? What can I let go of that might have driven me in the past to define success and being better? And what does being better mean and feel like to me as a manager? With that, I want to thank you so much, listeners, for being here with this episode of the business of being human and Leslie Ford love being with you every single time that we get to chat and applaud and honor your work and are here to support the spread of your work and the research that you're doing and invite conversations. So if this episode touched you in any way, brought up questions and you would like to have dialogue, feel free to reach out to us at ignite at intunecollective.com. You can find Leslie on her website at momshierarchyofneeds.com. And you can find more information about Intune Collective at intunecollective.com. We so would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Leslie, for your time. Bye, everyone. to the business of being human has intrigued you, inspired you, encouraged you, we would appreciate it if you rated and left us a review on Apple Podcasts. This will help others find the show. The Business of Being Human is a production of Intune Collective. It is produced and edited by Elizabeth Joy Windham. Executive producers are Christine Hildebrand and Wendy Horn Brower. Our theme music is by Adrian Walther. It is called Empowered. Cover and episode art is by Lisa Hardy. You can find all of our episodes and learn more about the services of Intune Collective at IntuneCollective.com.